Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into the Inside Carolina On The Beat Live podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. We're sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Boys, it is Wednesday night. 9 p.m.-ish. I don't think we've ever started exactly on time ever, but appreciate to the loyal listeners and subscribers of the YouTube channel that are already in here. Johnny T-Shirt sponsored us. I can't do a read as great as Taylor Vipolis can. Every time I listen to Taylor do his Johnny T-Shirt read, I'm like, I'm pretty sure he recorded that and just pressed his play. <laughs> and then I watch the video, and it's literally like you do it every time perfectly. But Johnny T-Shirt's got some cool stuff. They've got great Final Four gear going on there. Visit them if you're in town this weekend, uh, if you want to be in Chapel Hill for the game. If you're going to New Orleans, stop by before you head out. Get your gear at Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. A little bit of a big game uh, coming up on Saturday night. And, Taylor, I'll come to you first simply because I listened to you and Jay Jacks and Pinson's podcast from yesterday. And, uh, yeah. I could tell Theo Pencil would probably run down to New Orleans right now and suit up if he could do that. Um, your thoughts on how these former players are taking this matchup? Yeah, that seems to be the sentiment from everybody that, you know, everybody wants to play Duke in the Final Four in a game of this magnitude. But I think even more the, the subplot of that is that these former players want to be the ones that and Coach K's career in the NCAA tournament and kind of put that final dagger in his career, just knowing um, his importance and his significance to the rivalry and how uh, since his time at Duke, he, he's kind of built this rivalry up into what it is today. Um, so I think, I think if you hear any former players talking this week, it's all going to be about, you know, how big this rivalry is and how much they wish they were playing for Coach Davis right now. Yeah, it's fascinating how the, the the sort of the opposite takes from the players and the fans. Now, the fans have come around um, since this actually has happened. Like Sherelle McMillan likes to say, DEFCON 1 is happening. Um, I've always said in the national semifinals, it's okay. I wouldn't want to see it in the finals. But, Sean, it seems like the fan base, at least, has come to acceptance that this is really happening. And this is a gigantic opportunity for North Carolina to do – um, what it started about three weeks ago in Cameron Indoor Stadium, um, you know, I think it's amazing. Um, I think it would be cool to try to be in the building. I think it would be cool to watch on television. But I don't think it can be any bigger for college basketball. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, along the way, it would have been nice if uh, Michigan State had had finished the job. But I've seen a lot of a lot of people say, well, well, hey, if nobody else is going to do it, at least, at least give UNC – a shot. Um, and I think, you know, it, it sets up perfectly. Um, obviously 
nobody really expected this a few weeks ago after that final game in Cameron, which many assume would be the last time UNC did face Coach K. Um, but I think, as you mentioned, Tommy, you know, over the week, I think from the fan base, it's gone from, you know, oh, we have to, here we go, we have to play, play Duke again to, to more kind of an acceptance and now looking forward to it in, you know, it's, it's an underdog role. The spreads four, four and a half uh, on a neutral court, which is pretty significant. Um, but I think everybody's embracing it and, it, you know, it'll be a tough, tough task, but I think this team has proven um, it's up for anything right now. Terrell McMillan slides in like uh, just, you know, makes a quiet entrance into the party. Terrell, so I'm going to ask you the first question. Where's Gigi going? Uh, <laughs> we're not going to do that. There's a great uh, – if you're in Psychon Premium <laughs> subscriber, you need to get on there and read Terrell's latest update. Um, but just talking about the game, Terrell, my question to these guys before you got in here was it seems like everybody is getting on the same page about playing this game, whereas the fan base – didn't want to see it. All the former players were chomping at the bits, wishing they could be a part of it. Where are you? Because I know you, you've you talked about DEFCON 1 for a long, long time. Where are you here, I guess, Wednesday night, three days out from it actually happening? Uh, acceptance, I think, would be where I'm at. <laughs> nobody, I don't, nobody really deep down in their core, <clears throat> down in their soul, really wants this game. One is a very strong word. I think accept and are okay with are, are, are the phrases that probably work better. But I, I refuse to believe that there's someone out there who's like, yes, Carolina Duke in the Final Four. Hooray. I, and if you're out there, like, shoot me a message, shoot somebody a message, because I don't think you exist. I don't think you're real. And then if you do say that, it doesn't mind. So <clears throat> that's where I'm at. Acceptance is going to happen. There's nothing we can do about it. So, you know, embrace it and, and see what happens. And if your team wins, you know, be ecstatic. If they don't, it doesn't mean that the season was wasted or that, you know, Duke has something over UNC. It just means that UNC lost to a good team in the Final Four. So here's what I was thinking about today, and I was doing it listening to Vip's show with those guys, is everybody comes out in the Final Four like a nervous wreck, or you could tell the nerves are thick. Vip, do you think the fact that these two teams play all the time, know each other, um, played twice before. Do you think that makes for sort of a better basketball game in the sense of maybe less nerves, less whatever's going on early, usually early in these national semifinals? Yeah, I think it's going to be less of teams trying to feel each other out with how, how familiar these two teams are with each other. And if anybody has the edge when it comes to less nerves going into this game, I think it would be North Carolina because – the last time these two teams played, it was UNC winning and it was the Duke players folding under the pressure of of everything that kind of came with that spectacle in, in Cameron Indoor that night. And I think I think you will see a a more relaxed UNC team because I think a lot of people are saying it. They, they really don't have anything to lose. And right now they are playing their best basketball heading into the final four and Rel said, "I don't. He doesn't think anybody wants this Duke UNC matchup. And if they do, they they might be kind of lying or just uh, kind of bluffing for for the crowd. If there's one person that I think wants this matchup with Duke, I think it's somebody like Caleb Love. I th I think Caleb Love wants wants Duke in the Final Four and the chance to send them home." <laughs> 
What do you think, Sherelle? I mean, the players are different, right? When I talked to Dewey post whatever that was, St. Peter's, we talked on air and then we talked off air. And to a man, their their former group chat was like, yeah, that that would be like the greatest thing ever. Theo said it earlier in that podcast with Vip. But, you know, I agree. Caleb Love wants a piece of Duke. What does Duke think? I mean – is the pressure on Duke here still? Do we still believe that? Yeah, I mean, they're the favorite in Vegas to win the title. They're the favorite in the game. This is a chance, at least in their minds, to avenge the loss of Cameron. So I think for North Carolina, they're going to have to withstand like the mother of all punches at the beginning of the game because Duke is going to try to hit you know five-pointers every time down the court. They're going to try to destroy North Carolina as quickly as possible uh, with ferocity. And so I think Carolina just has to hang in there. Um, I'm not saying that they can't be up, you know, 25 to 21 or something, uh, UNC, you know, at the under eight timeout. But they also could very well be down by eight or nine, like they were in Cameron, you know, at the under 12 or the under eight. And so they're just going to have to stay in it, stay, stay around. And if they're able to do that, then the same thing that happened in Cameron, I think will happen is that that, that pressure gets tight when you get to the under eight um, in the second half. That's when you start to really feel it to say, man, this game could end and we could lose. So I think if you're North Carolina, you just got to withstand that first punch because it's going to be it's going to be a, I'm going to say the mother of all punches, but it's going to be a huge punch that is going to come out with on Saturday. And I don't think it's. I don't know if fair is the right word, but I don't think it's logical to look at the last two matchups as far as how this game is concerned. Now, if one team won both of the first two matchups, then I think it would be a little different, um, in my opinion. Like, it's, it's the rubber match, right? Like, And then you also have to look at how these teams have been playing in the month of March. Duke's offense is by far better than anyone else in the tournament and anyone else in the country um, at this point in the last, what day is it? The 30th in the last 30 days, whereas UNC and since the first round was on the 15th, they're the only team in the tournament that's in the top 10 in offensive efficiency and top 10 in defensive efficiency. Nobody else is in both as far as tournament teams. So it's like, yes, UNC was playing really well against Duke and Cameron and Duke's offense was still Duke's offense but UNC has gotten even better on both fronts and Duke's offense has turned it up to an even another level. So I think that's Terrell's point about Duke's punch early. They're going to try to exert their offensive dominance on Carolina and see they're not going to be scared of UNC's defense because one, they just beat Texas tech who has the number one defense since January 9th. And two, they just beat Arkansas who has the number two defense since January 9th. Like Duke's not scared of defensive game plans so I think the beginning is really going to be almost more important than it was in Cameron. What do you think, Sean? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we, we talked about this going into Cameron and it was, you know, they can't, you know, they can't get, get down big as quickly as they did in the Dean Dome and instead UNC took the initial lead. But as Farrell was mentioning, you know, they got up, I think it was nine points in that first half and, they had a few what could have been almost kill shots of, of Palo from three or, or a few other shots to go up double digits. And luckily they missed those. And then all of a sudden UNC, you know, hits those threes to get it to a two point game. Um, but then once again, in the second half, Duke 
kind of jumped out to that seven point lead. And luckily UNC was able to hang around, hang around before Caleb got going. So, I mean, I think Duke's going to come in with an extreme amount of confidence, uh, especially wanting to play UNC after, you know, kind of really giving up the last, you know, seven, eight minutes of the, the second game. But, um, you know, the pressure is on, is on Duke, but at the same time, I think they're going to be very confident. And then, you know, the, the final thing is just, once again, we've been playing in basketball arenas the whole tournament. Now we're at the Superdome, um, you know, 70,000, you're playing in a, you know, everything looks a little different. So can, you know, can UNC, you know, utilize that to jump out to an advantage or, you know, throughout the game, make sure that they're not going on those kind of three to four minute spurts where they might be struggling to score and Duke's extending a lead or cutting into one. Vip, I had to laugh when you were talking about the, uh, the, the shooting the in the Dean Dome. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I got that story too, right? So I walked in um, covering for Inside Carolina back in the day and Ed Coda and I, I was trying to post up Ed Coda and I was like, anybody under six foot, I can take. Well, I, I couldn't even get the ball. I couldn't even get a shot off um, against the dude. But anyway, he was like, why don't you try to shoot some threes or whatever? I couldn't hit the rim. I don't know if it was nerves or I couldn't tell. And uh, they were just laughing. He was like, man, you, you try to post me up and you can't, yeah, so it was embarrassing. So I, I've certainly felt you when you were talking about that with Justin and Theo. Joey Powell coming in. Joey, we've been talking early. Is like everybody's sort of ready to go for this matchup. The fan base was out of it, didn't want it. It's happened. It's here. All the former players want it. Um, where do you stand on this? I know we've discussed it a lot on Inside Carolina Live and, and on podcasts and all, but I think it's exciting. I think it's time to go. I think it, this is the perfect time for this game to happen. I mean, I'm just um, – I want to give mad respect to Taylor for just saying maybe you were just sorry is the reason you couldn't make any shots. But I, I appreciate Taylor for not saying that. Um, I'm, in the same, I'm in the same boat with him, though. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I think it was worse that I could not get a shot off against Ed Coda because <laughs> he kept slapping. He, he did foul me a couple times, but I didn't call it. Um. No, man, you, you know, it's one of those things where I think somebody asked on Saturday during the show, like, you know, why did we want this or why do we not want this? I mean, if I think if any Tar Heel fan has a choice, they don't want it. But like you said, now that it's here, I mean, you know, the the hero we needed all along might have been us, right? Like, that's that's kind of the, the Tar Heel fan mantra. Um, it's one of those deals where, like, if you're going to kill the villain, you might as well go do it, do it yourself instead of waiting on somebody else to do it. And, um it's kind of exciting. I mean, I, I think everything I've read and listened to and people I've talked to, it's, uh, it's not some, it's, it's not dislike what, uh, what you've heard and what Vip was saying earlier. I mean, now that the matchups here, what the hell, you know, Tar Heels want to go win the thing. Um, and, and I, I will say, and forgive me for being late. I was out doing the Lord's work, but, but if, uh, if y'all have already said, I, I still feel like the more I see and the more I read, uh, that the pressure is all squarely on Duke's shoulders. It may not be as much as it was in Cameron for Kay's last game, but it really feels like that that UNC is still playing with house money coming as an eight, coming in as an eight seed and and playing the you know the mighty Blue Devils and what will at some point whether it's Saturday or Monday will be Coach Kay's last game. Yeah, I'm kind of torn on that. I mean, yeah, they're the eighth seed. Yeah, they're not expected to win, and it's all. But this team beat them already, and these guys know how to do it and it's different 
I mean, if it were St. Peter's, absolutely it's house money or whatever. But anyway, I, I get you. I, I think we're all pretty much in, in agreement here. Um, let me ask a question right out the gate. And Bill, if I ask you first, somebody, Mark, is it Mark Williams asked the question, Gregory, or, or did he want us to talk about Mark Williams? Or tell Mark, Mark Williams, Williams is the question to, asker. That's Why is Mark Williams in our chat? Asker. Doesn't he have yeah, something he else need, to do? He needs to he's, get to he's practice. Getting some insight, he's getting some inside info. My camera's off because I'm eating dinner, but I'm here. Don't worry. So uh, can Carolina survive a poor shooting night? Sean, I, I, since you're at the top left of my screen, I don't know where you are on the YouTube, but you're at my top left. Um, I think the answer is pretty much a resounding no. Is it possible for Carolina to survive a 35% shooting night? Um, probably not just given how Duke's offense has, has played. Um, but you know, are they getting to the line or, you know, where they've been shooting really well? Um, you know, are they, is it from three that they're struggling at, you know, once again, that first game, both guards really struggled, um, versus the second game, RJ was great throughout and Caleb turned it up the second half. Um, but you know, they, they need to, for the most part, shoot the ball well, or, you know, be crashing the glass. Um, I, I think you're going to need your a performance to, to win on Saturday night. And if you're having one of those, just, you know, off completely off shooting nights, then, then yeah, I don't think there's, there's much of a chance, but I think uh, even if they're, they're a little off, if they're, you know, mixing in, getting to the line, solid defense, et cetera, it can still be, still be a game. And then all you need is a few, few quick threes as we saw at the end of the first half against Duke or against UCLA. So it'll be tough, but it can be manageable. So that sort of goes to the, to the question of sight lines, the question of um, inside play, outside shooting. Sherelle, you know, a lot of people are talking about how Mark Williams, not the guy that asked the question, um, unless it is the same guy. Um, you know, who's got the, the advantage inside here? Everybody talks about Mark Williams, Mark Williams, Mark Williams. But, I mean, I, I'm not sure there's been a better big man in March than Amando Baycott, um, even though I did watch Williams in, in some of their regional games. He's pretty amazing. So, who's got that advantage here, Sherelle? I'd probably lean North Carolina just because Armando Baycott has, as you said, had such a successful year. But I think Mark Williams is as important as Armando Baycott is to North Carolina to do, to do what they like to do. And – um, he's kind of the last line of defense. You know, if you look at Duke's um, defensive, defensive efficiency numbers over the last month or so, they're not great. I'm sure Gregory can look those up for us and provide those for us, but <clears throat> they haven't played great defense. 192nd. And imagine if they didn't have a human eraser, you know, standing under the basket. Just imagine what that number would be. Um, so I think that's number one. Um, I also think that because of how North Carolina plays, there's not much resistance outside of Mark Williams uh, with Armando Baycott. I think Armando Baycott kind of feasted in that second half um, on Mark Williams and on Theo John. So if you can get him in foul trouble, you make Theo John and Paolo Bencaro the primary defenders on Armando Baycott. And we've seen that Bencaro doesn't particularly seem interested um, in, in you know, bodying down low on someone like Baycott. So that's why I think Mark Williams is the most important because um, against UNC, if they can get him in foul trouble, it opens everything up for Armando Baycott. Yeah, and I think when you when you watch Duke play from the ACC tournament to their NCAA tournament, 
it's easy to see why they're they're not that good of a defensive team. They're they're really not talking out there. They get caught ball watching a lot. They um, they lose where their their primary um, their primary person that they're guarding is all the time on on back screens and uh, back cuts. And Williams is the guy, like Rail said, their, their last line of defense. And the he he leads the conference in, in blocks per games, but the amount of shots he alters isn't going to show up in the box score, but he is affecting, you know, so many more shots than the ones that he's just getting a hand on. And then I think on the offensive end, which what makes him so um, important for this Duke team is that when you do have somebody like Bonchero or you have somebody um, like Wendell Moore or Keels driving, once your last line of defense kind of steps up, he, he's like the perfect lob outlet. And, um, just being that lob outlet, he, he gets a lot of cheap baskets for this Duke team. I'll tell you, and I think it was on our message boards, people pulling stuff from maybe one of the Duke message boards, but we're talking about Bancaro playing defense, and somebody said that they need to put somebody different on Manic than Bancaro um, because Bancaro does get lost, and Manic can kill you, especially late shot clock things. So my question would be relevant to that. If Mark Williams has got Baycott, then who gets Manic for Duke in that matchup, Sherelle? I didn't think you were going to me that quick. Um, it, I mean, it has to be Big Hero because I, I don't think you would risk putting, you know, Wendell Moore on him because he's got the size advantage on Moore and then you could kind of take him down into the paint, even though Moore is a really good defender and really strong. Um, so I, I, I think it has to be Big Hero. I don't, I don't know how else they would align themselves defensively. It doesn't make much sense. I mean, you're going to try Trevor Keels on him who's he's a big strong guy but he's you know six four and a half six five so i think that has to be the matchup um unless you play theo john a lot but if you play theo john a lot then you're losing offense from somewhere so i think that's the kind of problem that brady manic presents is that um you can you can have someone who's close to his same size but then you're going to remove either williams or bancaro or more and i don't think you take out one of your best players for theo john just to match up with manic so i think on the offensive end it's uh, Manic against Bancaro, and, and Bancaro has a hold his own. And I think <clears throat> Hubert Davis does the same thing he did in the second game, that you you tell Brady, you know, Godspeed, we love you, and uh, <laughs> your sacrifice will not be forgotten. And he did a pretty good job in, in the second game. It's a trade-off both, it's a trade-off both teams are, uh-huh. are willing to sacrifice for for what the the other people bring to the table, I think. Yeah, it's it's uh, I love that. And, and Sheryl, you're spot on, like, Eric Brady, come back with your shield or on it, you know. Um, uh, Sean, I want to ask you this question, and, and Vip, you can chime in on this too. With the success that North Carolina had running that high ball screen and just Duke never figured out what to do with it, part of it was R.J. Uh, RJ Davis making the right decision just about every time. But um, you would see has really relied so much on that for their offense to kind of free a lot of other things up as well. Is there any reason to think that that Duke might find a way to stop that, or should we consider that North Carolina will still have some modicum of success uh, going into the game Saturday night? Sean, I'll go to you first. I think the advantage Duke has is they can look at that game and say, "Hey, you know this this killed us. What what are we going to do to combat that?" Versus UNC, who did everything well. Um, so I, I, mean, I, I think Duke will definitely try harder to to get, a, get, you know, get through those screens where they're not uh, just putting their, their big man um, in isolation situations. I think they're perfectly fine with that at Cameron and RJ 
you know, to his credit, picked him apart. I think what there was maybe one or two block shots that game, but you know, we, we've seen it in the past few games of Duke mixing in a little bit of zone here and there. Um, and I, I think they'll definitely come prepared with a few ways to try to, you know, maybe it's even, even trapping to try to get the ball out of RJ or Caleb's hand. So while, while that did work very successfully, and I'm sure there will be some opportunities for UNC, I would fully expect Duke to, you know, be working all week to see how they can, you know, force UNC to go in a different direction. Viv, I'll ask you the same thing. Is there any, is there any like side action where North Carolina can actually, instead of opting to go to the pocket pass, maybe look for, you know, look for something on the side, uh, kick out to the corner or something like that. Or do you think it's going to be just, you know, keep running it and make Duke stop it? I like Sean's call too, that, you know, remember the great genius move that K made to go zone against Michigan state. I mean, that's, you can't really, can't really downplay that too much. Can you? Yeah. I think it's a, a situation for North Carolina where if, if what they were doing that second game isn't broken and they go to it a couple times early, you know, Huber Davis wouldn't have any problem running it the entire game, kind of like you saw in the second half where RJ was taking over with the middle ball screens and the Duke team, for whatever reason, didn't have any problem not adjusting and letting it continue to beat them over and over again. And I think that point kind of goes to the next point that I wanted to make where I think the the best thing from North Carolina that we've seen over the past month is how willing to adapt and how willing to adjust his strategies. Uh, Coach Davis and, and this staff have been when things don't go their way. You look at a game like UCLA where they're trying to run that same middle ball screen and UCLA's kind of uh, packing it in. They're not really respecting Leakey in the corner. Um, Juzang is essentially a, a paint defender the entire time, not even going out with Black. Um, and UNC goes into the halftime, probably lucky to be down whatever they were down with the way um, UCLA was shooting the ball, even though they were playing good defense. And you, you, get, you get things like the side pick and rolls and, and more um, adjustments and, and different actions to kind of take advantage of what UCLA was doing. You know, you take Leakey out of the corner, you put somebody like RJ Davis or Caleb Love or Brady Manick in the corner. And then all of a sudden you're kind of muddying up where UCLA's help defenders are going to come from because, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to hug your defender or you're not going to come off the paint um, into the paint. If somebody like Brady Manick is spotting up in the corner and you're trying to like, you know, what's more important. Should I stop the love drive or should I stay with Brady Manick in the corner? And a lot of the times in that second half, North Carolina caught UCLA in kind of no man's land and that's how they were able to score. So, I think if there's one thing to be encouraged about, if you're a North Carolina fan, is the adjustments that this coaching staff have been making during this run. That's a, a great point there, Reed, the coaching. And I think it's been fantastic. And, rare, you know, I think the last major coaching mistake was made in, Car in Smith Center against Duke. Uh, I mean, other than the Pittsburgh game where they couldn't get the guys ready to play for whatever reason, the, the Duke game in the Smith Center – but this is a valid point. We've been talking about it on the Slack uh, away from our listeners and, and viewers' eyes. And, Sherelle, I'll let you discuss it. Points in the paint is key, and especially, I think, in a game in the dome where shooting is going to be at a premium. Um, discuss what we've been talking about in the Slack. I mean, Carolina has found the ability to not need to hit a bunch of threes and still be due. Yeah, I think 
<clears throat> what people were saying or asking um, is if UNC could withstand a poor shooting night. And Sean answered, well, are we talking about from two or from three? And I think what we've seen is they can probably withstand a poor shooting night from three and still find a way to, to beat a team like Duke. So if you look at the game in Cameron, <clears throat> they were nine of 25 from three. Not not poor, not great, you know, average, I would say. Um, but if you break it down any further, they only took seven in the second half. And that's because, like Taylor was saying, that middle ball screen, Joey mentioned, um, they were getting the ball in the paint almost every possession. They had 28 second half points in the paint at Cameron. For perspective, in the first game in Chapel Hill, they had 26 points in the paint for the entire game. So they really dominated that second half by driving, um, penetration and kicking and then when they did take threes I think a lot of times they were those manic I think manic hit a couple uh catch and shoot from the corner so that's the kind of threes that they were taking in the second half the ones that were um built off of penetration so all that to say go back to the point about Mark Williams being a huge key if you can get him out of the game it makes all that stuff going in the paint a lot easier um and they've shown they have the ability to do that so um yes they can withstand a poor shooting night from three they cannot withstand a poor shooting night from three and from two common yeah. sense but yeah I, I think joey i think we asked each other you know what's the magic number for carolina to win in cameron and i think i said 45 percent shooting total and i think they may have shot 47 that night i think it's and probably mine, what's funny thing. mine was rebounds i remember that conversation we wrapped the show with it and mine was mine was can they out rebound duke by like 10 or 12 rebounds or something like that and both of them were spot on yeah go ahead yeah, I, I think these, especially in these environments, um, points in the paint, rebounding, all that stuff is going to be huge. Um, and folks are asking about um, Roach and all those guys. We're kind of working our way out. So we're going from down low out. And that brings me um, to Sean to ask Leaky Black, who's he guard this game? I mean, obviously it's a mix and match when it's necessary, but who's he start on? I think it's got to be the shooter. Yeah, I, I think uh, you'll you'll see some mixing and matching when they are subbing. But I think every you know we we learned the first game and you put them on you put them on Griffin um, and Griffin's been been playing well. I don't think he's been shut down like he had you know like he was at that one game. And he's a guy. He's a lights out shooter. Uh, he's big. He's strong. But he's you know he's not going to kill you off the dribble. So if you can you know just force him to take tough contested shots and you can potentially remove, you know, one of the top options. I think that's where you got to go. And then obviously if they're subbing, you know, Puff or Don Trezin, it, it changes things up. But I think for sure, um, you know, leaky on, on Griffin and, and you go from there. One side note real quick, Tommy, uh, just cause I've been thinking about it since you brought it up. I mean, could you, you know, I think it's a little far-fetched, but could you see Griffin guarding Manic? Um, out on the floor, you put Paolo on, on Leakey. Paolo doesn't want to play much defense. Um, and, and, you know, maybe you have a little bit of a lighter load with Leakey. You put Griffin on Manic, you just say, hey, no help side. Just make, you know, don't even let him touch the ball and just try to make his life difficult. I mean, I, I think I would potentially try that because Manic has been shooting the lights out. And once again, I don't think Paolo is the guy that's going to shut him down, but just kind of a side comment I've been thinking about since your initial question. No, I think it's valid. I mean, Paolo doesn't want to play defense, and he's not going to play defense. And you, and I think him on Manic is a good thing for Carolina. And I don't think Shashevsky or Shire or whoever's coaching that team um, 
I don't think they make that mistake again. And that's why I brought it up because I think you can put somebody like Griffin or even kills on manic um, to, to muscle him up. But I think if you put Bancaro on him, clearly it's a physical mismatch in Bancaro's favor, but it's not in basketball instincts and all that. And manic will wear him out. And uh, we'll see. I don't know. I don't know if, if you guys agree with that, but I think if, uh, you know, if, if you waste Bancaro on defense, that frees him up to do whatever he needs to do on offense. I, anyway, where, where's Leaky go? And, and how many shots, Sherelle, does Leaky have to hit? And then, Vip, I want to hear your, your thoughts on it as well. I mean, if they do put Bancaro on Leaky, I think that forces Leaky into an offensive role. I don't know. What do you think, Rail? He would have to hit a three or two. I think Gregory pointed out last week he hasn't hit a three since this month in March, I believe. He hasn't Syrac hit a three in March. Yeah, Syracuse. Syracuse was the last time he hit a three. So Which is wild. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think he would have to to make one just to keep them a little bit honest. Um, even if even if it's not because he wants to take more later, just so they'll have to, you know, close out hard on him. He can drive and then kind of do his thing. So um yeah, I, I think uh, – I, I see what Sean is saying, but I think that's overthinking it a little bit, kind of the way UNC put Baycott on Ben Carroll in the first game because if, if A.J. Griffin gets in foul trouble, it changes a lot of the things that Duke wants to do. Trevor Keels um, has been up and down this season, and you wonder, can he make those corner threes and, and hit those open shots at the same frequency that Griffin does? Because if Brady Manning were to get Griffin in foul trouble – you know, you're, you're limiting your offensive ability and that is Duke's strength right now. So you're kind of taking a strength away from yourself uh, by trying to cover for Ben Carroll on defense in, in my mind. What you got, Vip? In terms of how many points I think Leaky scores, I think you're going to get a, a very Leaky-like line, like six points, six rebounds, six assists, just kind of all around <laughs> uh, pretty, a pretty even game for him. Um, that Carolina fans have kind of uh, grown to expect from him. But I don't think, you know, he has to go above and beyond. I think he he's more than comfortable in his role on this team, which has allowed this team to kind of take that next step. Um, when you do have a player like Leakey who is accepting of his role and is, is very effective in the role that he does for this team as the team's, you know, best uh, perimeter defender – and somebody who can facilitate on offense. But I think the, the thing with Leakey the, that you noticed the last time these two teams played, he, he might not score a lot, but he does get a lot of timely baskets. And when he's doing things like crashing the offensive glass, like any, any extra points that Carolina could steal with second chance points, is, it's a, a huge plus for them. Somebody in the chat made me laugh. Um, our guy, Sean, he said, Leakey follows whoever – his man is everywhere. If his man's going to get a hot dog, Leaky puts the mustard on it, and that made me <laughs> chuckle. I tell you what, that was pretty awesome to watch. And I think Vip, you mentioned it watching Leaky Chase, um, whether it was Zhang the other day or Eddard um, on Sunday or this past weekend. It, those guys that are locked in on defense, I'll never forget watching Jackie Manuel chase. I guess JJ Reddick around. I mean, it's a full time job to chase them all over the place and keep up with them and you got to because if you if you miss going under or over a screen or whatever then you know Griffin hits a shot and gets Duke going and I think I think whichever team shoots the best from the outside 
is going to win this game, I think, because of, because of the way um, these teams match up in the paint. I just don't see Duke um, not using Mark Williams enough. Every time they've won the national championship, there's been some big guy that's done something out of out of character for them, whether it was Zubek or, you know, other people like that. And, um, you know, I don't think Theo John. If we're talking about Theo John on Sunday, then – Tommy, let me throw this out here. It can, can, can let, let me throw this out here. If Duke goes runs their offense through Mark Williams, can North Carolina win? It depends on what you mean through. Is that at the free throw line or is that on the block? If that's on if, the block, if, that's trouble. If that's what I mean, if if they're if they're running uh, inside out, using through Mark Williams, that's where they've been their best. Is is when Jeremy Roach has been able to kind of control the ball and. And they've gotten Williams some touches early on. And, and somebody here mentioned earlier, like the, the easy lobs and stuff like that he's been getting. I, I don't know that anybody in the country can stop them when they're doing that effectively. Somebody tell me why I'm wrong. Well, you're not wrong. And mainly because the way UNC's defense has played recently, they've been doing a really good job of helping, but then they've also been doing a good job of closing out. But with shooters like A.J. Griffin, he like he's not stationary. He's kind of like manic in the way he'll move. So if they try to get A.J. Griffin involved in the game, that's going to be how they do it, is with getting it into Mark Williams first and whatnot. Um, and, I mean, A.J. Griffin was a non-factor, and that was because Leakey was on him and Cameron. But at the same time, it was also because of the, the way their offense was trying to go. And, I mean, Duke does not – their assist numbers are not very high, right? They like to play ISO ball. And if they do get assists, it's usually to Mark Williams. But if Mark Williams gets those first touches to your point and then gets some assists, that's where it, it's not necessarily Mark Williams going for 30 that puts UNC in trouble. It's what it's what everyone else does with Mark Williams getting the first tr- tr- touch that would put UNC in trouble, in my opinion. Yeah, and the way the – way, um... Duke wants to play offense. It's it's all ISO ball for for the most part. Um, in comparison to a team like Virginia, a uh, team like Virginia Tech, UCLA that wants to run you through a lot of all these like off ball actions, where Leakey is doing a, a good job of you know fighting through screens and everything. Duke is for the most part they're going to start in like a horns type set get the ball to somebody like Bonchero and let him work and let him try to find lanes or let Roach try to find lanes. And I think that kind of, that kind of plays into North Carolina's hand and the fact that North Carolina, ideally they want to play five guys the entire game. We, we saw that in the second half of the UNC game and the easiest way for this team to play five guys the entire half or the entire game is let them just stand around on defense, not having to move that much. Like you're, you're going to have to show bodies on drives and you're going to have to recover on, on closeouts. But for the most part, you're, you're not running around and you're not chasing off ball action for, for 30 seconds in the shot clock. So I think that's another thing that kind of plays into UNC's hands, even though the way Duke does play offense, even though I think there, there's very little um, X's and O's into it it still is a, a very effective offense, the number one offense in the country. Um, but I think that part of it kind of does play into UNC's hand with the fact that UNC doesn't really want to go into their bench. Yeah. As an aside, I was going to say it later. If Carolina has five guys that play 35 plus minutes, I think Carolina wins, but um, that's for later. Uh, we mentioned the name 
just right then in that segment for Duke. And I think that's that, that guy's been the key. Sean Roach has been the, the difference maker for Duke. I mean, you can hate on Duke a lot. You can say what you want, but Roach is a player and he does it. He, he has been the key for Duke in this NCAA tournament without question. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, he had a pretty good, um, pretty good game the second time around of, of being, you know, being able to turn the corner and, you know, finish with, with contact or finish, you know, finish tough shots in the paint. And he was a guy that really struggled last year. Um, but he's been able, you know, once again, kind of that freshman to sophomore year jump that we've, we've seen from the guards. And I think his came a little bit, a little bit later in the season, but now he's playing kind of with that team takeover confidence. Um, and, and he has been, getting to the rim and, and kind of being able to run, run the show. And I mean, right now you have him and Wendell playing at a very high level and a very efficient level. Uh, so I think once again, if you can, you know, force one or two of those guys into just, you know, right now they're, they're on a high, especially coming out of San Francisco where everybody was playing well, if you can just force one or two of those guys get, get a little frustrated miss some shots, I think that that will go a long way versus uh, Jeremy Roach being able to, you know, do what he wants, get open shots, which he can knock down and in turn kind of take, take some of the load off of uh, the rest of the guys. So, Vip, you got two things. One, I have a Jeremy Roach question, but you saw the slack. So I need you to do that. Uh, I need you to do it live. We need to take a break mm -hmm. for the national guys, but I need that Johnny T-shirt famous. Don't Don't look it up. Don't read it. Oh, I have no chance. I have no chance to read it. <laughs> to not to just recite it off the top of my head. Give, yeah, folks, Johnny T-shirts our sponsor. Taylor Vipolis wants <laughs> to tell you about it. You know, we want to we want to support the people that support us. So that's why I've got to mention our friends over at Johnny T-shirt. You know, they have the shirts, the jerseys, the hats. You name it, they probably will have it, including the Final Four commemorative gear. They have the name, image, and likeness jerseys from the, the players on the current team. It's great people and great customer service since it's locally owned and operated by alumni. If you're going to be in Chapel Hill, you could visit them on Franklin Street. And if you're not going to be in Chapel Hill, you could go online at johnnytshirt.com. And don't forget, Inside Carolina premium subscribers save 10% off their orders. All right? Back there to it is. There it is. There it is. Let's take a awesome. short break. Let the national guys pay the bills. We'll be right back on the beat live. Carolina and Duke in the final four. We'll talk more about it after the break. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the name your price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
We are back on the beat live. Taylor Vipolis with the excellent Johnny T-shirt, Reed Pryor, Sean Moran, Joey Powell, Sherelle McMillan on the porch, Gregory Hall. Um, hey, Tommy. Yeah. Can, can, yeah. can we give a shout out to everybody's grandmama who pronounces his last name Ruich? Because I know there's some people that are either in the chat or grew up in North Carolina whose grandmama said it that way because mine surely did. That is hilarious. Ruich. I, uh, <laughs> I was like, what? And then I got it. Let's, uh, Vip, tell me about why you wanted to go first on Jeremy Roach. I mean, what is it? What is it, man, on Roach? I mean, I, I spent the, the past two years coaching high school basketball at, at a small school in Northern Virginia, uh, Paul the Six. Some people might have heard of it. Uh, this My first year there was Jeremy's senior year. Um, we won the state title. We lost to DeMatha and Hunter Dickinson in the, the WCAC final. Uh, or just a really competitive game. Dickinson was just a, a little too much in the post. Um, and then the year after that, my last year in Northern Virginia, before I, I relocated for, for work, um, was Trevor Keels' senior year. So um, super familiar with both their games. I, I love both those guys. I, I love both their families. Um, you know, th they're great guys, no matter, no matter where they kind of pick to go to school. Um, and then I think, I think the thing with Jeremy, um, you know, he was, he was kind of tossed to the side um, at one point in this season for, for somebody like Trevor Keels to be inserted to the starting lineup. Um, kind of, kind of stuck with it, stayed, stayed patient, even though I don't think his numbers or anything really suggested, um, for him to get a limit, uh, get his role reduced. And the, the past three, four games, all he's, all he's done is bailed Duke out time and time again. And I think when, when you're looking at the five-man lineups, we we've talked about how efficient North Carolina's five-man lineup is, um, they, they were the most efficient five-man lineup left in the tournament, playing like 916 possessions. Um, but now the the Duke five-man lineup with Roach, um, so it's Bonchero, Griffin, Wendell Moore, Jeremy Roach, Mark Williams. That lineup has actually passed North Carolina in terms of efficiency, uh, albeit it's it's on a third of of the possessions that North Carolina's iron five have kind of produced, but you know, he, he has been the difference for this Duke team over, over the past month and a half, the same time, you know, ever since like right after the North Carolina game, it seemed like they started to turn to him more in the ACC tournament. And um, it's, it's just been, you know, time after time, he, he's bailed them out this, this past month, especially that Michigan state game. Yeah, I absolutely think he's their MVP and it's, it's funny how he was a forgotten guy. I mean, he wasn't very good last year. Um, you know, all the new guys come in and then, you know, it's, it's tough not to like that guy because he was one of those dudes that were thrown on, you know, he's, he wasn't thrown on the trash heap, Joey Baker style. He's close. Um, but he got out of the trash heap. He jumped Joey Baker was on the trash heap. That's why I couldn't <laughs> throw him on. <laughs> he, uh, but at any rate, uh, I think Roach is the key to this game. So Sherelle, um, tell me what the key to Carolina's game is. RJ Davis, Jeremy Roach. That seems like a really, really big matchup, um, for Carolina to win here. He's a tough cover <clears throat> for RJ Davis. He's got a size advantage on him. And I think he's just as quick. So, um, even in the second half of the game in Cameron, 
it was kind of Roach when things were going bad. He was really the only one able to consistently score for Duke. I mean, he got in the paint past uh, Davis several times for kind of easy layups. And we're talking about how uh, North Carolina's strategy should be uh, to try to contain Bancaro as, as much as possible, but he get hit and then try to make sure that everyone else, no one else goes off. That's kind of the recipe for North Carolina to win. And Jeremy Roach makes that really tough when you have five guys on the court at any time that can kind of score, um, you know, outside of Mark Williams, that can score on the perimeter. It's really tough cover defensively because um, if he gets a couple of steps, you know, you've got shooters, capable shooters all around the court. You know, I think Bancaro hitting his threes really has, to me, it's what's taken Duke kind of to that next level. He was really good um, in the NCAA tournament thus far. Um, hitting threes. I think in the Texas State game, he hit like his last three or something like that. And he was solid the other night. So I think, um, you know, Roach at the top of the key with those guys around him is is really troublesome. So RJ Davis has played better defense the last month or so. He's going to have to have a really good defensive game if North Carolina wants to win because Roach has been that good. Yeah. And Taylor brought up the, the five man lineup ratings. You look at uh, the lineups and everything and UNC's obviously it's just their starting five that's even close to the top of the, the country in metrics and things like that. Duke's got two, which I think is interesting. Now, one of which is the starting five of Roach, AJ Griffin, Wendell Moore, Van Caro, and Mark Williams. Um, that lineup is 129 offensive efficiency, but 91 defensively. UNC's is 119 and 81. So it's a, a much better defensive unit. But Duke's defensive unit is where I th- is kind of where I think is interesting here. And something that I know we talked about earlier with Mark Williams versus Theo John, but this lineup of Roach, Window Moore, Trevor Keels, Ben Caro, and Theo John, it's a little smaller, but that defensive unit, that unit is uh, 77.9 on defensive efficiency. So 14 points per hundred possession different. So as far as if Duke tries anything differently, I think that might be a lineup that UNC's a little bit, not for extensive minutes, but that might be the lineup where, and there's been questions here and I'm kind of segueing into this about that zone that Duke has been throwing at teams in the tournament. That's the lineup that would kind of try to frustrate UNC, if they get on any sort of run and and try to change things up tempo-wise, is throwing that lineup in and having Theo John in there and Trevor Keels. You, you get Keels' offense, but you get Theo John better at, at defense than a guy like uh, A.J. Griffin. So that's a lineup that I'm curious your thoughts on, Rel and Sean, and what do you think that would look like? And if we see it often, and if it would even give UNC any fits, considering UNC has been pretty decent against the zone this this season. Go ahead, Sean. Yeah, well, one, one, those are great stats and and great things to look out for on on Saturday, um, especially given some of uh, Duke's defensive struggles outside of Mark Williams, as Sherelle said. I mean, he, he just protects so much um, and lets them gamble a little bit more on the perimeter. I could definitely see that lineup going in to try to frustrate UNC. And, you know, once again, can they – the zone is going to get thrown. So when it does, is UNC able to react decisively and, you know, get to the spots where they want, where they're then playing those guys off the court. 
because uh, right now, I mean, Duke's not a deep team, but they, you know, Theo John can give them minutes and heals off the bench versus, you know, if Armando gets, gets a foul or, or two fouls, I mean, even, even the second game, the whole focus was on him not getting into foul trouble. And he almost got called for that, you know, the, the flop that they took that where the ref called the block, but that could have easily, easily been his third. And that, that really would change the, the game. So I think, um, you know, regarding the question, I think we'll definitely see it and it'll depend on, you know, how decisively UNC can react to it. But then on the flip side, just for the UNC perspective, there's less ability um, and there will be a Duke focus on trying to get Armando onto the bench. And now you lose that efficient, you know, efficient lineup that we're talking about. Terrell, where are you on this? I see y'all slacking stats. I, I just think it, the more Theo John plays, the better for Carolina. But I could, I could be wrong. Maybe the numbers tell me I might be. Yeah, it is a limited. It is a smaller sample size, so that's part of it. But yeah, I, if I were UNC and Mark Williams isn't on the court, I would consider myself blessed, honestly, um, <laughs> because you have the best low post scorer, you know, arguably in the country in Armando Baycott, and you take out the ACC Defensive Player of the Year, one of the best shooters in the country, to put in a guy who's smaller. Uh, he's strong. He's built like a defensive end. But who's you know who's smaller than Baycott? That to me that just doesn't make a ton of sense. Um, maybe Duke will try it, and maybe it's because they're going to go zone, as Gregory said. But I, I, if he's in there instead of Williams, I think Carolina will feel feel good. This might be too much of a segue, but uh, I think one of the things that we've noticed from this Tar Heel team is that Hubert has been really, um, really want to use the guys that he feels like match up best off his bench. Uh, you know, whereas to for Roy Williams forever, it was you knew what his rotation was, you knew who was coming in, you could almost say what point in the game they were going to come in, you know, based on the clock. But Hubert's very much more based on feel and matchups. Um, I want to throw off to all of you guys, you know, who who are we most likely to see first off the bench this week? You know, Puff Johnson has played really well. Dontre Styles has played really well. Uh, and both of those guys have acquitted themselves well, but they they bring different skill sets to the game. So uh, whoever wants to go first, take that one. I just, I'm, I'm curious to see who y'all think is going to be the, the first guy called off the bench. I think it depends on who, if anybody, gets in foul trouble first. I think if it's Baycott, then I think you throw in Styles and you play Manic at the five with Styles in at the three and Leaky at the four, just because you're taking out, you, you don't have Baycott, so you need a more athletic, stronger body. Now, if it's a guy like Leaky who maybe gets two touch fouls, then you throw in Puff, who's almost like mini leaky with the way that he uses his hands and his moves his feet and things like that. And I think that's kind of what we see have seen Hubert do is really just depending on matchups. And that's why Puff didn't really play that much against Baylor because they needed a bigger, more athletic body in Dontrez and Justin, right? But then Puff came in against UCLA because they needed more lateral quickness. So I, I, that's to answer your question, I, I think it really depends, but that's what I would go with to p based on situations. Now, if it's a guard that gets in foul trouble first, I have no idea who's the first off the bench. Leaky. Leaky yeah, becomes Leaky. the he becomes the guard basically. Yeah, um, he moves up, and then whoever comes in down lower. I, yeah, I what do you go, think? Oh, I'm sorry, Shrell. No, no, no. You go, Shrell, and then view. I, I was just gonna say I would probably go with Puff. I think because. You know, Hebert has talked about how he couldn't split Leaky in half in the first two game. And Puff is kind of, as you said, Gregory, uh, a, a different version of Leaky with how tall he is and with his length. And he's a pretty tough kid. So I think he would be a, a pretty good cover 
on either Griffin or Keels or even Mancaro for for stretches. Um, so I, I would probably go with him just because his defense seems to be ahead of Styles's at the moment. Yeah, I would I would tend to agree with with Rail. I think you saw it um, late in that UCLA game when I think it I think it was Baycott who who went out and um, Coach Davis trusted Puff in in those minutes and Puff did a good job of. Uh, holding his own when somebody like Johnny Juzang was trying to back him down into, into the post. But I think, I think um, if it was up to coach Davis, the reason I laughed when you said that Joey, who, who would be the first sub off the bench, if it's up to coach Davis, I think that five is playing 40 minutes. If, if there's no foul trouble, if nobody's getting tired, if nobody's cramping up, um, I, I think he, he would be comfortable playing this this starting five um, every every minute possible if if they're if they have it going. Could we see the first ever forty minute starting five? I mean, has that ever happened? I mean, it, it might have, work. The just, odds you, have to be against you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've, <laughs> here's the thing, though. You've got you've got the longest TV breaks of the year. You've got the longest halftime of the year. If there's ever been a game to do it, this would be it. That is a. Uh... That would be pretty epic. They've come close. I mean, didn't they have three at 38 and one at 37 and one at 31? So maybe so. I mean, what are we missing of this matchup, Sean? Uh, I mean, a lot of people watching on the YouTube are like, we're, we're making them more pessimistic. I don't think so. I, I think I think what I'm looking for, I think Carolina does the same thing they did in Cameron with a few tweaks. But what does Duke do differently? Um if Ben Caro shoots 26 times again, does Duke win a game like that? I mean, no, I mean, I, and, I, and I think that's exactly what you want. And, you know, tor- towards the end, they definitely got their offense in that second half. And, and you, you, everybody remembers a shot of uh, Jay Williams in the stands trying to call timeout, but they didn't call timeout. And, you know, they were just letting Bancaro go one-on-one and everybody else was standing around. So they definitely got out of their offense in, in that element. Um, I mean, I think, you know, when they, when they lost to Virginia Tech, they're, I think, four of 20 from, from the three-point line. Um, the, in San Francisco, they weren't shooting, I don't think, nearly as many threes or maybe it was kind of up and down in terms of that. But I think, you know, you're, they're really going to look to – attack with Wendell and, and Jeremy get out in transition. Uh, Paolo has been, you know, they, they still will, I think, go to him and, you know, once again, probably start the game going to him and trying to attack Manic um, and then kind of letting him settle into the offense. But if you're, if you're Duke, I think you want to be moving the ball and, and playing more of a team game. Uh, Cause right now all five players are playing at a high level and even, in San Francisco, it almost allowed Palo, you know, he struggled early against Texas Tech, but then, you know, it kind of allowed him to get going later in the game when they really needed that push versus him starting out hot. Um, so I think, you know, they'll, they'll try to see if Jeremy, you know, Jeremy or Wendell or Griffin can perhaps carry that load a little bit early and then, you know, kind of use Palo uh, more so to maybe, you know, for them to try to provide you know, the, the, fin- you know, finishing, finishing off of UNC, but that's what I would say from a Duke perspective of just trying to be more balanced rather than uh, trying to specifically go ISO on, on certain mismatches. Yeah. And to your point, Sean, 
Bancaro hasn't attempted more than I think 14 shots in a game since UNC and Duke played when he had what 25 or 26 shots in that game for 26 I think yeah so it's he was trying to do too much and it it hurt them so I, I think that's a pretty fair point what you're saying as far as Duke being more balanced I have this question for the group UNC obviously free throw shooting as a, on the season has been good. And in Cameron, they were 19 of 22 and they helped ice the game there at the end. Caleb did. In the tournament, UNC is 68% and they've missed 22 free throws. How does that change? If it, I mean, obviously free throw shooting is all about the work you put in mentally and all of that. Is that a concern for Saturday considering they're not at the level that they've been at, and it's not just one game. It's over the it's over three. Ooh, what do you think, Vip? Um, I think I think North Carolina can can kind of withstand uh, poor free throw shooting, or um, I don't I don't think the the free throw shooting is a a trend to kind of worry about. I didn't mean to say they they can't withstand bad free throw shooting. It's could could very well come down to free throw that shooting. That could be a big crush but, or yeah. a big a big issue. <laughs> But I think North Carolina, the thing that they do have going on their side is they do have somebody like Caleb Love who still shoots a very high percentage. I don't think Baycott is reaching the territory of, you know, hack a shack. But um, if, if it comes down to it with the game on the line, I think you're more comfortable, obviously, with somebody like R.J. Davis or like Caleb Love shooting free throws. And I, I think those two still do shoot a, a very high percentage for a, uh, a tight game. You know how who we haven't talked about at all? And Sherelle, we probably talked about him a million times this year. Caleb Love. I mean, how, how do we do a complete game preview and not talk about Caleb Love, Sherelle? I think it's mostly because we've been talking a lot, a lot about Duke. I think Carolina, what it is and what it wants to do is, is fairly uh, firmly established. And I think uh, us trying to read into this game uh, are curious about how Duke has changed since Cameron. We've seen intimately what Carolina's done. We, we've studied that and watched the games over and over and looked at the stats. So that's probably why. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, you know, as, as, as it goes, Caleb Love, um, as he goes, North Carolina goes. And I don't think that's an oversimplification at all um, because we, we've kind of seen it. He, he takes big shots. He hits big shots. Um, sometimes he takes shots that, don't go in that you're just kind of like, what are you doing? But they kind of lather him up, I think, to be able to hit those shots in the clutch. And I think the key to him, which Joey's talked about, I think everybody who's on this podcast has talked about it at least once, is to drive downhill. Hubert Davis mentioned it at his press conference. If he drives to the rim, he's an 88, 89% free throw shooter. That's almost automatically two points if he's you know going to the basket and, and uh, trying to score. Not only that, that's when you start getting some of Duke's bigs into foul trouble. And if you can get into the bonus early in a game like this, um, I think that bodes well for you and see also. So for him, it has to start inside out. Like Hubert Davis has said, try to get to the rim, you know, no floaters, be aggressive. And then you can start kind of, you know, taking those step backs and those long threes that get him so energized. But yeah, I mean, he, he is, he is a key because um, he, he can take North Carolina to that next level. Um, when they're playing well, he can kind of supercharge them and, and do like he did against UCLA. 
And he was really the one that got them back. I mean, you look at the stat wise from that second game and it's not great efficient, efficient wise, but I mean, he was the one making those plays when they were down seven in terms of, uh, you know, getting into the paint, making some great passes, uh, then hitting those, those big, the big threes and the, um, you know, even the pull-up shot. So I think, yeah, you know, you, you can't have both guards uh, playing poorly like the first game, but, to win this one, you need them both playing at a, at a high level. And for Caleb, um, you know, I think that is getting downhill, um, you know, being ready to pass the ball to teammates, which we've seen him do a lot lately. Uh, if he is able to get to the rim, uh, like he was last weekend, you know, doing so where he's not, you know, kind of fading, fading away off the one foot. Uh, Cause that just makes a shot a lot more difficult, but if, if he's able to get to the rim, I think then that just opens it up and, gives them more confidence for those, you know, for those step backs or pull up three pointers that we've, we've uh, seen a lot of. He needs to do it in the first half though, because he waited until a couple shots into the second half against UCLA. And that's when he started to get hot. But if he could do it in the first half and he's talked about multiple times this season, his confidence is completely different when he sees the ball go in in some of those early shots, not that his confidence is ever wavering, but as far as just, stepping into shots and things like that. When he hits early, he turns it up earlier than he does later. And to the point about driving downhill, it needs to happen as soon as possible in the first half rather than waiting in the second half. And then Caleb can have a really good game. Yeah, indeed. Vip, I think you might be uh, doing something that's relevant to, to this discussion. I want to let you tease it and then piece it out so you can finish it up. Yeah, I'm working on finishing it uh, right now. I don't want to, give away too much, but basically uh, a feature centered around uh, Caleb Love talked to um, a trainer. Um, his, his dad, uh, Rel, Rel helped me get in contact with, um, with his dad, Dennis. And I think, I think when you, you read it or um, you watch the, the video that kind of goes along with it, you can start to see kind of, you know, what has made Caleb Caleb. And it's a, uh, it's a mentality that he's had for, quite some time indeed looking forward to it vip always appreciate it look forward to your coverage in new orleans this weekend safe travels appreciate you my guys. Friend. all right Vip. we need more uh, rocky theme music too by the way i'll get i'll get it ready <laughs> as vip dips out uh let's ask a few questions and then we'll get out of here as well um, we talked about free throw shooting scott holland you got your question answered tar hill k 1969 uh this is a question. I'll go to Sean. I don't really like the premise, but if Carolina can get a decent lead, do they go to the four corners? I think they play. They did play a fair amount of four corners last against St. Peter's. I think didn't they? No, you, you, you need to. Corners. You know, we saw it's, what what just happened. Four out, with, one in. Yeah, it was just they, stall ball. Yeah, yeah, they, basic same thing. They need to keep uh, keep attacking. Um, you know. It's all, when you go to that prevent defense in football, I, I feel it, you know, for the most part, it always spells trouble. And especially something like this, it just puts a lot more pressure on you uh, because now you're trying to get a good shot in the last 10 seconds, uh, which more often than not, you know, you're, you're, you're getting, you're forcing something. Uh, and then if, if the other team's scoring, the pressure just builds. So, you know, unless it's a 20 point lead, like against Baylor, you want, you, you definitely will want to run some clock, but I think you want to you want to keep attacking, um, you know, especially given 
the offensive strength of Duke and what we've seen in past UNC Duke games when, you know, they've been able to put the pressure on and come back. So keep attacking them and, and keep the pressure pressure on. Um, but once again, if, if you do have a, a lead, you know, late in the game, you know, UNC will definitely be milking the clock a little bit, but you got to get good shots out of that. All right, Vip. Oh, Sherelle. Um, I was looking at the old picture. Sherelle, who's the key right here? Who's the key to this game? It can't be Caleb Love again, can it? It, it just can't be Caleb Love again. From a North Carolina perspective? Yeah. If Carolina wins, if we are doing a show um, while we're down in the bayou and you guys <laughs> are up here, some of you guys are up here, who are we talking about specifically um, on Sunday morning? I think it's Armando Baycott, <clears throat> considering the matchup, considering what he did in the second game. I mean, everyone after that second game was like, oh, Armando Baycott's going to be ACC player of the year because he dominated against a really good team uh, and a really good center. So I think you, you're not asking him to replicate that performance necessarily, but he needs to have a good game. And some of the the bunnies, the, the chippies that he's missed the last few games, he has to convert on those um, that close to the basket. And then you would hope that his uh, whatever's bothering him with the back or with his hand or whatever it is, that that feels better because the, the free throw shooting has to be a little bit better too. Um, he was clutch enough to, to make the big ones against Baylor. Um, he made the two that actually gave them the lead that they wouldn't relinquish. But um, he has to be better at the free throw line, I think, for them to have a chance. But I, I would go with him. Sean, who's your guy? Uh, Brady Manick. I think he's been, been playing at a – super high level uh, outside of that Virginia Tech game, which, which happens to be, you know, the only game they've, they've lost. Uh, he's playing, you know, just from his shooting, uh, his off the ball movement. Um, if he's able to have a good game, especially because I think he will be a focal point for Duke. I mean, I remember the second game, anytime he, he let a, had a wide open three, the coaching staff would go nuts. Um, so obviously it's going to be a focus, but if he's getting 25, you know, UNC should be in, in pretty good shape coming, coming down the stretch. Even, even, you know, high teens, 20, you just want him, him on and, and hitting those threes because they, they're just so huge for, for the team and, and just for kind of the momentum that can hopefully build throughout the game. I think uh, from a player standpoint, we're talking about Brady for everything Sean just said. But from a collective standpoint and maybe a stat standpoint, we're looking at what RJ and Caleb did with the ball. We're looking at their assist numbers and their turnover numbers. Because if Jeremy Roach yep. beats – if Jeremy Roach is playing better than RJ, it's because RJ will – he'll have forced turnovers on RJ and whoever's guarding Caleb and vice versa. In Cameron, it was a – it was 15-5 to five assist turnover. If those numbers replicated on Saturday – and Brady does his thing and whatnot, and Armando, UNC, you, you got to like UNC's chances. Now, if Duke's defense for, turns up, UNC gets out of control a little bit and turns the ball over, then we're talking about not playing on Monday as far as covering a game and things like that, in my opinion. It really comes down to what the – not necessarily the guard's scoring ability, but their ability to be ball, ball handlers and things like that. If Carolina has five turnovers when the horn sounds on Saturday night, they won the game. Joey, what you think? What's the where's it at here? 
Um, I, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's Armando and I'm saying Armando because that means he stayed on the floor. Um, and I think that it, as long as he's on the floor, I think that's making that plays in North Carolina's hands, uh, because it opens up the perimeter and it's also making Duke guard the interior. Um, I just, you know, we said it earlier a couple of times that if Theo John's on the floor, that's better for North Carolina. Um, and I, I'm a guy who confessed all the way back to last year when he was with Marquette. I like Theo John. He's a goon. I think there's value in his game. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know that he's a nice person, but I, I love his game. Um, but I think that I think having having success in the paint for North Carolina uh, via Armando Baycott is is a big indicator as to how how good the night's going to go. I agree with that. I think if Armando's stat line includes 30 plus minutes. And I think Carolina's won the game. I think he's that important. But I do think that Caleb Love needs to get off early. And, Gregor, you made the point. He needs to get to the basket early um, for him to get going before it's too late. Or, you know, the second half, Caleb is is putting stress on games. And a game this big, I think Duke could Duke can get rolling where Carolina can't come back. All right, let me hey, flip Tommy. it. Yeah. Before you before you go there, is is there? I want to ask all everybody like, what's the threshold that North Carolina needs to get to as far as scoring goes? What's what's the magic number that that North Carolina should feel comfortable with? 80. 70. 75. What do you think, Shrell? Yeah, I was going to split the difference. I, I think like 73, 74, considering this is a Final Four game. Everything's magnified. Everything's more intense. Everybody's a little more nervous. That's fair. Uh, so I don't. I mean. It could it could just be an offensive explosion, but I, I would expect a game in, in the mid seventies. I uh so to flip the script, Sean, if 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 we are talking about the end of the season on Sunday morning, who did it for Duke? Who's Duke's guy? Well, I think it's two things. It's what Gregory was talking about with the assists and turnovers, uh, because how important the guards are to UNC, but for for Duke, I mean, I think you're looking at all five guys with offensive ratings, you know, 110 plus. Um, you're looking at Wendell and Jeremy shooting 50% or above. And you're looking at um, a double-double from Mark Williams and a Duke team that shot, you know, 40%, if not better, from three. Um, I think if if it's one guy having a great game, I think that that's manageable. But if it's if it's all those guys clicking, I think, and you look at the box score at the end, you know, you might see Griffin with, was kind of in that 10 to 20 point range, you know, 10 to 12 for Roach and Wendell, 18 for Griffin, 18 for Palo and, you know, 15 for Williams. Um, that'll be tough, but you know, it's, it's not last weekend. It's a new, it's a new weekend and, and, and Duke's got to play as well as they, they were playing, you know, last week, once again. Yeah, we haven't even talked about Wendell Moore at all either. <laughs> so, so let, let me let me jump in. For karma purposes, everybody has talked about a Duke player they like. So I want to make sure that we're balancing the universe. I really like Wendell Moore's game. Uh, I've been a fan of his since he was a freshman in high school. Just a really good glue guy. He can handle the ball. He's improved his shooting. Great size. Good defender. Um, you know, Vib loves Roach and, and kills. Uh, uh, Joey said he loves Theo John. So I just want to make sure that we're all sharing the love on here uh, to, to balance things out and to make sure karma is correct. 
How about the go, relationships? At one point, Wendell Moore was the best player on Duke's team. And, yeah. and that that blew my mind because, it, you know, Sherelle and Sean and I have talked at points prior to this year. Like, there was a point where if, if Wendell Moore was taking jump shots, that was good for Duke's opponents. And now it's turned into where he's, like you said, Tommy, at, at, at times and for a majority of the season, he's been the best player on the floor for them. Wendell Moore also was, 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 was that close. To being a Carolina commitment. See why why you why you got to bring up old stuff, man. S- some would say he was a Carolina commitment, but that's another story for another day. <laughs> How some about the relationships that, yes. between why, the players on each team? It's yeah, from, it's it's remarkable. It's yeah, it's I mean deep. Armando was like, yeah, that's the Jeremy Roach that I played against in middle school, and I was like, what? It's just it's insane. So you got it's Roach like, and Kills, who were high school teammates. You've got. Yeah. Uh, Roach and Armando, who are AAU teammates. Then you have Griffin and Davis, who were high school teammates. And then you have Williams following Baycott at IMG after Baycott went to UNC. And um, Leakey so, and Wendell, right? And, and Leakey and Wendell won a championship at, at Cox Mill in Concord. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. And they all, both play for CP3 as well. So there's a, there's a lot of familiarity between, you know, all these guys. And don't forget, Paolo Bancaro's first official visit was not to Duke. It was to North Carolina. So he's familiar with North Carolina too, because Roy Williams recruited him very, very hard. And at one point they thought they were going to have the super team of Cade Cunningham, uh, uh, Zaire Williams, and Paolo Bancaro. Why you, why you, you got to kill this? No, I'm just, I'm just saying. I'm just, this, is, just, this is the shared history of all these guys. They all walking into somebody's other. wedding and throwing a Molotov cocktail this at the bride. Like, Caleb this is, is like Duke, man in the Hightower podcast. Well, Caleb would be at, probably would be at Duke if it wasn't for Jeremy Roach. So there's that too. Jamie Roach committed first to uh, Duke, and then Caleb reassessed things, got the offer from Carolina, and eventually picked UNC. So there's there's all kinds of stuff between these guys. It's always been fascinating. I remember when I was at Carolina, the Duke guys would always come to Chapel Hill to hang out. I don't know if they do that as much anymore, but uh, there's some Antonio Lang stories out there, for sure. Um, in Duke's, play- Duke's players aren't in Durham long enough to find out how to get to Chapel yeah, Hill. Yeah, really. It's a uh, you know, semesterhood. Antonio yeah. Lang is a very deep cut. You're gonna start talking about Robert Bricky next, and we're gonna have a really good conversation. Hey, <laughs> hey, don't you don't you besmirch the good damn name of Fayetteville, North Carolina? <laughs> I, I've got a Robert Bricky story, but it was more about him destroying uh, my hometown high school team back in the day. Um, so that was that was quite ugly. This, Anything this left on old. the Sherelle, old real quick? I know you need to. Uh, we need to have a podcast talking about all the old guys we used to see play and talk about. I mean, I can talk about Tyler Hansborough when I used to see him play. He's uh, an old guy, baby. Yeah, when you were a baby. Yeah, yeah, when you were like growing up. Like, who did you look <laughs> up to when you were little, uh, Tyler? Anyway, Sean May was like the first guy I ever actually recognized was good at basketball. I just remember. Uh, well, that's too much. That's for off the air podcast. I'm, 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 let's. I want to ask that. Who's the first? See, he broke up on him. He yeah. ran up the sideboard. You say oh, that again. Bad. Say that again, Ralph. Who, who's the the first player you remember from Carolina basketball? I'm curious. Just um, like the first guy you remember, like, oh, he's a Carolina basketball player. You said Sean, you said Sean. Yeah. yeah, you said Sean May. I'm Sean talking May. about everybody. Just yeah, Sean Shane May is my answer. Like. Joey. Probably would have been somebody in that like Kenny Smith time frame, maybe, maybe before that. But yeah, around there. John, I mean, probably like Mont, you know, early '90s. So Mont- Montrose, uh, 
Calabria, George Lynch, kind of that that group. Uh, Mine, I remember two. I remember because he was hitting threes, and it was like a three-point shot. God, you breaking up on us, man? Dang, this sorry. is epic. This is I'm epic sorry. stuff. Call Jeff, Spectrum. Jeff, uh, can you hear me? <laughs> It's, yes. No, that's it's Tommy. That's that's Jeff the, McGinnis. The, is that who you said? The, the no. world, the world doesn't want Sherelle to give away all the good scoop tonight. So it's. <laughs> did you just say out. where Gigi's going? He Sherelle? did. He I said think that. He did. I heard it. <laughs> that was it. That say, was our chance. Say your answer again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he left. Oh my God, he did left. I ran him <laughs> off. That is no. such a mic drop moment for Sherelle too. By the way, <laughs> yeah. I uh, I went to a Carolina basketball game in like 82 or something like that. So, yeah, I think I turned it, I turned down tickets to go see Michael Jordan play in Carmichael because I had Saturday morning basketball practice and I didn't want to miss practice. That was dedication. It worked out. <laughs> Earl said it was uh, Jeff Lebo and Kevin Madden for him. Those were his guys that he recognized were Carolina basketball. You know players. who Kevin Madden is, Gregory? No. Do you know who Jeff Lebo is? Yes. <laughs> okay. Just no, he only knows him. He only knows him as Coach Lebo. He, he never That's knew his true. first name. He only knows him as Coach Lebo. Um, I know his son, Creighton Lebo. This is oh yeah, we need to get out of here. But this, before the first, we do though, oh, sorry, the, hold on. The first basketball game I vividly remember was like I can like put yourself there. You know, not like in passing was Lorenzo Charles's dunk for State in '83. I thought you were gonna go like. Uh, Cartwright, Carmichael, Cartwright, Carmichael, or something. Yeah, like Jack Cobb. Yeah, um, shooting it. George Lamick, <laughs> yeah. the, the blind bomber. But I had, uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously, I was born in '71, folks. I'm old. Go ahead, Gregory. I was going to shout out everyone in YouTube. Um, we've got, we've had over 400 for the majority of the show, and this whole, I was been literally 20 six days ago i was begging everyone to subscribe for ten thousand subscribers and we're over twelve thousand now and we're on our way to thirteen thousand so if you're watching this 75 percent of you watching are not subscribed to this youtube channel so click that button turn it was if you subscribe it turns gray yeah turn it from red to gray ring the button i got a notification at 8 30 that we are going to be going live in 30 minutes so you can there's no excuse not to be here you'll always know when we're live and things like that so all y'all that subscribed all those people that subscribed time. over the last over the last three weeks save gregory's job so right. thank y'all for doing that <laughs> yeah look, it's been pretty crazy so subscribe yeah. if you're watching and thank you for watching live yeah ring the bell it's kind of like coyote ugly the bar the bar just go ring the bell and uh it's free drinks for everybody um look Seriously, this has been hilarious and this has been fun. We've done these YouTube lives for a couple of years now. Um, actually, COVID started it, um, but we'll continue them forever. It's fun to come on here. It's fun to interact with the people. At some point, maybe during the off season, we'll have another fan podcast where we get some of our subscribers in, ask some questions, chat up, talk Definitely. to us and all that. Tommy, we, Tommy, you got to tell them they, could, they might be able to find us on Canal Street this weekend. <laughs> I was going to say, and uh, it, it seems like the, the gods have spoken. So I know I'll be in New Orleans. Joey will be in New Orleans. Gregory will be in New Orleans. Sean, you going to stay back? Hold up. Uh, it's not, not, yeah, not looking probable out, out this way, but you never know. I think we will stay on uh, – I'll be in past Christian at Airbnb. I think Gregory is in similar areas, and Joey hadn't made a decision yet. 
but I'm working we, on it, man. But we uh, we will all be down there. Uh, many positive vibes for the people traveling that way. Johnny T-shirts, I sponsor. They certainly outfit everybody. Um, it's worth your while to go visit them online. The national guys pay the bills. Check them out, too. Inside Carolina is your place. There's no better coverage. Greg Barnes will be down there. Uh, look for his coverage. Look for VIP special on Caleb Love and look for all of us when you check out Inside Carolina and InsideCarolina.com. Thanks, boys. Late. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen.